Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. I think it was uh, Basil, the Bishop of Caesarea in the 4th century, says that the Psalms is like a compendium of all theology. Um, And Martin Luther, actually the reformer, said that the Psalms are like a little Bible. It's just a whole summary of the Old Testament. But what's been beautiful about this, and it actually ties into Phil's email, if you read that on Friday, that actually we come to the Psalms for devotion and for consolation because they're so intimate. So some of us in this house this morning are celebrating and others aren't. And so my prayer this morning is, wherever you find yourself, may you encounter Jesus. May you encounter the lifter of your head this morning, and may you find resolve and be strengthened. Okay, so let me see. Is it all up? No. It's coming there. It's coming. Psalm 91. There we go. So who wrote it? We don't know. Okay, out of 150 Psalms, 50 of them are unnamed. Some people think Moses wrote this simply because Moses wrote Psalm 90. And there's a lot of talk that you can actually see within it that could be talking about the Israelites being rescued from Egypt. Um, It's all gone blank again. Oh no, there we go. Okay, so Psalm 91. But other people think David wrote it simply because we'll see language in it like shield and buckler, language that David used in a lot of his other Psalms. But the fact is, we just don't know. But what we do know is, and David made reference to this, it's a psalm of confidence. There's a lot of I wills, okay? There's psalmist is full of confidence. And I must admit, the irony is not lost on me that we come to a point in this psalm where it says about angels lifting you up in their hands so you don't tread or you don't stump your um, foot against a stone. About a week before Pastor Phil asked me to speak on this, I totally have massive bruise on my foot from stomping my, on a big stone at the beach, okay? So what we are actually doing is what David's saying is, how do we handle this psalm in the realities that we see? That we don't have this immature, anemic faith that just goes, yep, he can do everything, which he can. But what is it actually fleshed out so we can grow to be more mature, resilient disciples? Okay, first thing I'm going to talk about is this. What are the promises of Psalm 91? What are the conditions? And we heard about that, about the ifs. But also, what are pitfalls that we need to look out for? And the first pitfall is just that. Sometimes we can be lulled into thinking that everything just works out all right. In the kingdom of God, all prayers of ours will be answered. But a massive pitfall of Psalm 91 is this. Oh, that's my water bottle. A massive pitfall is this. The enemy can also use scripture to harm us and hurt us and cause us, as Maureen was saying last week, giant detours in our lives. And too many people have had the rug pulled out from underneath them because they're going, but it says this, but I'm not seeing that. And then what happens is we pull away from God and we pull away from his people at times when we need them the most. How do I know this? We're jumping to the temptation of Jesus here. Okay, when it says this, I'm going to try and see if I can see this with my eyesight. My goodness, I'm not even 40 yet. Okay, so in Luke 4, it says, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, and he quotes Psalm 91, 
He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Cheryl has a bruise. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Surely all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What is the enemy doing here? He's actually sowing a false narrative. Jesus is in the desert. And the false narrative that the enemy is insinuating is this. God wouldn't want to bring suffering. He wouldn't want to see you suffer. The fact is, could angels have come and rescued Jesus? Yes. But the false narrative was, don't go the way of the cross. Don't struggle. God doesn't love you if there's struggle in your life. And that's a massive pitfall that when we now jump into Psalm 91, we need to be really, really careful of. Because the fact is there are so many people in this house that can testify to struggle. There are so many people that I look up to in this house, men and women of mature faith, that the Lord has brought them through massive struggle. But they have known him all the more for it. See, the same is a deceiver. But how does Jesus respond? He actually quotes Another part of scripture, Deuteronomy 6, 16. The full verse says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Well, what happened at Massa? Basically, the children of Israel are in the desert and they're grumbling, as they often did. In fact, Moses said to God, they're grumbling so much, I think they're gonna stone me. So this is not just your little tip-tap. They're at the point of stoning him because they're thirsty. And so... God says, take the rod that parted the Red Sea, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. And so Moses does that, but the place is then called Massa, which means testing. And Jesus quotes us here, and what's he saying? Our God is a God of miracles, but it is better to trust in his faithfulness and his goodness than put him to the test. Eugene Peterson in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, said this, we can decide to live in response to the abundance of God and not under the dictatorship of our own poor needs. Going to say that again. We can decide to live in response to the abundance of God and not under the dictatorship of our own poor needs. Sometimes in struggle, we start demanding, God, you need to do this, you need to do this. For me to know that you love me, you need to do this. For me to know that you're close and in my situation, you need to do this. But what is it to actually live in response to his abundance? Because you see, Satan still issues that false narrative to us in the church today. And sadly, over the past couple of years, what we've been through, many, many, many have been hurt, maybe even people sitting here today, disillusioned, questioning, doubting. Is he who I thought he was pre-pandemic? You've had the rug pulled out from under your feet. But we want to see resilient disciples where we question, go, what is it to live a life of faith that we can join with Joseph, who has been rejected by family, who has been in pit and in prison, but actually can still say what man intended to harm me, God intended for good, the saving of many lives. Or we can join with Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, well, the three friends, when they're in the fiery furnace and they're presented with this big thing. And they say, do you know what? God could save us and we think he's going to. 
But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Even if he doesn't, what is it for us? Because you see, as David rightly said, I believe in the God of miracles. I do, because I've seen them. I've seen God do miraculous things in my own family. I can testify to them. I believe I can scale a wall with my God. I believe I could run faster than the chariot, and that's massive because I'm not sporty. But I also believe that we could go into a den of lions uneaten and into a fire not burned. We won't even smell of smoke. But there's a deeper truth, and that's this. God walks with us. God walks with us. That's the beauty of Psalm 91. He is with us, and we've sung about it so much here this morning, just declaring it in the house. And I think sometimes we don't actually just revel in the beauty of that. I was once lost, but now I am found, and because of that, God's presence is with me. I can come near to him. There's a sweetness that we need to just sit and revel in today on that. God walks with us, no longer separated. I love this. David actually referenced this too. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Do you see the rivers? Do you see the waters? But they're not going to sweep over. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So let's dive into Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Whoever. There's an openness of invitation. Whoever. Whoever you are here, this is open to you. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And I love the fact that David, I think you were reading my notes earlier, but we're going to look at those four names. Okay, because this is just beautiful, really, really beautiful, that it doesn't just say the same name of God in the first two verses. Here are the four names. Whoever dwells in the shelter of Elion, which means supreme king, above all, possessor of heaven and earth. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the possessor of heaven and earth will rest in the shadow of Shaddai. Now, I think it was actually Spurgeon once said that if man had come up with this, people would have thought it was actually irreverent. But the word Shaddai quite often or all the time in our Bible is translated as almighty because it's quite hard to translate from the Hebrew in our Western minds. Because actually Shaddai can mean teat, as in where you would get milk from, okay? So actually, this name for God can sound irreverence, so therefore that's why it's translated in our Bibles as the Almighty. But it has the connotations of providing all the necessities of life. So whoever dwells in the shelter of the possessor of heaven and earth will rest in the shadow of the provider of all necessities of life. Look that into your struggle. I will say of Yahweh, Okay, Yahweh, the name that was given to Moses in Exodus 3, the great I am. He is my refuge and my fortress, my Elohim, the strong and mighty one in whom I trust. So we can already see a deep beauty unfolding. 
when we actually dwell, when we live in the revelation of who God is, in the midst of our struggles, sometimes we can be focusing on it, but actually if I'm dwelling on, but God, I know you're the supreme one. God, I know you're the possessor of heaven and earth. God, I know you provide me with all necessities of life. God, you are the mighty strong one in whom I trust. The New Living Translation actually finishes this with, in I am trusting him. It's a continual, that conveys a continual abiding in this secret place, a continual choice, as verse nine says, to make the most high your dwelling. There's something that you have to do in your hands to make the most high your dwelling. Next verse is, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. From the, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you'll find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. So next we find out that he's going to rescue us from the fowler's snare or the enemy's traps. And I just love how this gives us a picture of almost like a mother hen covering her chicks. Okay, you can just imagine the, the bird covering over and the chicks are all brought in under these great wings, okay, protected from whatever it is, whether it's an enemy like a fox or whether it's the weather or whatever it is, come in under the mother bird's wings. Jesus himself used this imagery when he was grieving over Jerusalem. It's recorded in Luke and Matthew. And Jesus said this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. It's an image of parental protection, but it's also a picture of sacrifice. The parent puts themselves in the way of danger. The parent is the one who gets the weather or the fox. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Under, he ultimately, on his sacrifice on the cross, has offered us protection. Under his wings, we find rescue from our sin and from all claim that the kingdom of darkness had on us. Now we can live with his truth, his faithfulness as our shield and our rampart or our defensive wall against all the schemes of the enemy. You see, the devil doesn't want you knowing the deep, deep truth of what it is to come under the feathers under the wings of Most High. Because you see, he wants to sow that false narrative. I'm seeing struggle, therefore God must be distant. When actually it couldn't be further from the truth. We will see struggle. We will see difficulty. But actually it's under his feathers. Verse 13 of Psalm 91 reads this, you will tread on the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Okay, and as David rightly points out, both the lion and the serpent are repeated images for Satan throughout scripture. Okay, here's, I've only put up a couple, obviously we see the serpent in Genesis 3 talking to Eve, but here we see in 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we also see in Revelation, and in a couple of places, but I chose Revelation 12, verse 9, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And then we're told in Psalm 91, you will tread on the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. How? Well, let's listen to Jesus' words, will we? Luke 10, 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. 
Romans 16, 20, Paul writes, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace. So we're finding rest, as David was saying, rest in the spiritual sense when we know when we're not getting that. Okay, it's not just about good sleep. There's rest, there's peace. Our great promise is God's presence with us. He is the one who covers us. Under his wings, we find protection from the enemy and authority is given to us to overcome. Can you see why the enemy would want to sow the false narrative and get us discouraged by all the I wills if you're not actually seeing? Wrong interpretation, just insinuation. It's been the enemy's ploy from the beginning. In Genesis um, chapter 3, when he's talking to Eve, okay, he insinuates so much so that Eve goes further than the word of God. Okay, did he really say not to touch all the trees? Oh, well, he did. oh yeah, and there's just this one and we can't touch it. That hadn't been the word. It was not to eat from it, but suddenly Eve jumps even more from the enemy's scheming, from the enemy's insinuation. She goes further than what the word of the Lord said. And we need to be so careful that too. If you're discouraged because you think the word of God is not holding up, Maybe it's questioning and assessing how are we interpreting it. Maybe we need to grow deeper, grow resilient in our faith. You see, for time I'm not going to read all this, but Psalm 91 verses 5 to 10, if you've got it in, in front of you, have a look. Do you see why it says now, because of our authority, because of our covering, because of our protection, that we won't fear the terrors in the night? It doesn't say we won't see them. We won't fear them. The dangers in the day or dread plagues and disasters. There's something of our countenance within these situations. Because actually, what it says is, no harm will overtake you. Remember, the it will, rivers will not sweep over you. New Living Translation says, no harm will conquer you. It doesn't say we're not going to see harm. It says it won't conquer you. There'll be something in the midst. And do you see that actually? Maybe we all know this is where you don't elbow the person beside you. But even within our own families, you just know the person that when something bad happens, they're just steadfast and peaceful. Okay, maybe it's just because they're so laid back, they're horizontal. But there's something in them that they're just steadfast and peaceful. And there's usually people who are, oh, and it's a whole drama. Okay, um, I must testify, this is where I have to go. Okay, Lord, I'm coming on, I'm under your feathers a bit closer. Because sometimes we can just, our countenance, comes out from under the feathers. We're not as close. And we come out and we start to look and we start to dread and we start to fear. That's a massive sign that you're actually not coming close under the feathers of the Most High God, that you're not dwelling. You see, we need to be people who realize that all things work together for our good, both good and bad. All things work together for our good. Okay, Joseph was in the pit, but as Psalm 91 declares, when we look at the arc of his life, we do see that God was with him. We do see that God delivered him, and all throughout, God honored him. Daniel and his three friends were still taken captive, and we might actually look at that and go, my prayer is, don't let Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians see me. Okay, let me hide underneath something and they won't find me. That will be your deliverance, God, that I won't be taken captive. But they were taken captive. 
But through the whole arc of the story, we see God was with them, he delivered them, and he certainly honored them before many kings. What we also learn from Daniel's life is angelic warfare. And if you want at some point today or this week, look at Daniel chapter 10, because we see angelic warfare, and we also see a timeline of deliverance that isn't necessarily right at the beginning. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I do believe in ministering angels, and to be honest, this could be a whole other talk. Okay, I do believe in ministering angels because they're certainly a reality for us as children of God. Scripture is full of places that we can look and see that. Hebrews 13.2 even reminds us that some of us entertain angels unawares. I want to even remind us, sometimes while we're maybe looking at our struggle before us, how many times have we maybe been protected and we didn't even know it? Ministering angels that we just didn't even know that you were protected because you're actually under the covering of the Most High. David, um, my husband, his cousin um, lives in the States and she was a ski instructor. Um, And there was one, because she was a ski instructor, she was very good at skiing. And so on her days off, she would go and do these, I don't know what to call them, courses, um, routes. Somebody's going in the the room going, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. But she went up a big mountain in a very dangerous area, okay? And while she was doing this, she was by herself. And she actually came off and fell into a ravine. And at the bottom of the ravine, she couldn't move. She actually ended up damaging a lot of bones in her back. And in the midst, she's a believer, and in the midst of this ravine, knowing that most people did not go that way because they weren't skilled enough, she started to cry out to the Lord. God, help me. You need to help me. I can't even move my body. You need to help me. And suddenly a man came skiing past. And this man stayed with her. He phoned for help. She ended up being air ambulanced out, okay? He phoned for help and he said, don't worry. And she said the whole way through, just his presence, that she wasn't alone, just brought a sense of calm in the midst of complete pain in her body. This man, okay, stayed with her throughout. When she was then airlifted back, she started to talk about this man. I think most of the paramedics thought she was delirious. Okay, but she started talking about this man, and they were like, what man are you talking about? And she said, the man that was with me, the man that phoned you. And they said, there was nobody with you. Who could have skied down into that hole? Nobody could have skied. We had to airlift you out. The fact is, she firmly believes, as do we, that the Lord answered her prayer. She was ministered to, but she was unaware. She thought he was just an earthly man. In our own story, um, we were once in Chicago and we were at a conference. There was about 10 of us from Northern Ireland here. And we went over to a conference, um, a youth ministry one. And there was one day off and we were like, happy days, let's go shopping. So we all sort of bundled down to the train station. And you know, whenever you're away with people and you've, you're out, just, you have, you've talked too much with them already, we kind of all went to separate areas and people were putting the music into their ears and we were reading books and we weren't even chatting together as a group and we were being very antisocial. But there was this man who had the appearance of being homeless. And David, my husband, and another friend of ours kind of clocked eyes with each other and went, mm-hmm, 
And so they made a beeline for this man. And so they go over to him and they're chatting to him. And there was a Starbucks in the train station. They're like, do you want us to get you something? Would you like a coffee, a drink of water? Would you like some food? And the man kept on saying, no, 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 I don't have need of that. But they said there was something about his countenance that he was very direct and just kept on staring them in the eye and said, that is not your job today. And they were like, okay, fair enough. Are you sure there's nothing we can do for you? And he said, and in his words, he said, your job today is to do the one or the will of the one who sent you. And at this point, David and our friend were like, okay. And they were like, would you like us to pray for you? And he was like, yes. And so they prayed for him and that was good. But this encounter unsettled them. To the point where when we all bundled onto the train, David and our friends said, lads, we need to huddle around. We don't think today is going to be a normal day. This is not going to be the day of shopping we expected. The Lord has made us. So I don't know whether that man was prophetically speaking and he was a physical man or whether there was something else from the heavenlies, but this was a direct message from the Lord that we had to sit up and be alert and take notice. And so therefore, we all huddled together and prayed and cried out and spent the train journey praying on God, whatever, lead us into whatever you have for us. Can I say, to date, that is still probably one of the most significant spiritual days I've ever had. We literally spent hours upon hours in the other train station. We didn't get out, I think, until all the shops had closed because person after person kept on approaching us. I've never seen anything like it before. People kept on approaching us And then you'd get into a conversation. We had people at table after table. We kept on looking around to go, where's the rest of our group? And suddenly they were ministering to somebody else at another table. We were praying over people. We were seeing just amazing things happen. A a lady in her 80s came to faith. And there were prophetic words then being shared across. It just was such significance. It was an amazing day. We also had a very direct encounter with demonic spirit that actually threatened all our lives, knew things about our group, threatened us. But you know what? We prayed in the authority God gave us. He had our assignment set out for us that day. We followed him. Under his wings, we found protection. And actually, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. He gave us authority. So no harm did come to us. But yes, angelic. That's another preach. I could have gone on for ages. Okay, so how do we therefore grow into mature disciples who have a resilient faith in a world that's more and more 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 uncertain? Okay, we live in an era of rapid unsettling. All of us can say that. We just don't know what else is going to come at us soon. Sure we won't. Okay, and here's what I was going to say is this. Assess your interpretation of what it means to live in blessing and safety. Okay, For years, we've maybe lived within Northern Ireland, and what we termed as safety was actually us, okay, making ourselves feel safe and comfortable. Assess what it means to be in safety, because if we have this view, which is actually of the world, of what safety means, and then we go, oh, and I'm seeing struggle in the life, well, that means God's not with me. That's the enemy's false narrative. Assess what it means to live in blessing and safety because we will be people who will see the miracles. But the biggest thing is to know his presence with us. His truth shall be our shield and buckler because the fact is a faith that elevates our human reasoning over the revelation of God is anemic. 
It will not have the strength to keep us on the years we're about to walk into. We need to be people who live and move and have our being in him. The revelation of God over our human reasoning of what safety is. And second, come closer. Dwell, take up your home in the shelter of God. Actively seek to grow in intimacy with him. As David pointed out, we know when we're not. We know when we've maybe come out a wee bit. We don't have that rest and peace. Come closer. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They're not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They're a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you're close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not, you'll remain dry. Come closer. Do you know what? Maybe you're here today and you're going, you're maybe sensing the tug for the first time. You're going, I've never been under the protection of the Most High. I've never been or experienced any of that. Well, the invitation is open to whoever. So the invitation is open today. Come and talk to pastoral staff and team here. They would love to help answer questions as you wrestle this out of what does it mean to be a child of God and have these beautiful promises over us. But maybe you are a child of God and you're just sensing the tug of God to go deeper. There's more. Okay? I have never struggled from the physical condition of anemia, apart from maybe when I've been pregnant, I've had to take those iron tablets, okay? And usually the usual off-the-counter iron tablets, no good for me, okay? Whatever my boys were doing inside me, I needed those big, big ones, okay? I needed to take iron tablets. Maybe it's the same in the spiritual for you today. You do know something of his peace. You do know something of his rest, but there's more strengthening. There's more resolve to be had for the resiliency. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. We aren't promised a trouble-free life, but with confidence we can join the psalmist and declare that he will be with us. He will give rest and peace, protection, deliverance, and honor. I am currently living in East Belfast. And about a mile and a half away from my house is this, okay? It's a mural, and most of us will know it. It's actually from an older hymn, but most of us know um, the Hillsong's version of this song. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Do you know why I love this? In an area of Belfast where there are so many false narratives painted on walls, narratives about violence, narratives about hurt, Narratives that actually breed fear. There's so many painted narratives in an area of deep pain and woundedness. Just this morning, actually, as we were getting ready for this, we got a phone call of people we love who are just in deep woundedness. They're not under the cover of the Most High, and they're just experiencing all the things that the enemy has for them right now, which is why David's not here. He's away off. But... What I do know is that in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. 
Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? Let's pray. God, we worship you. We worship you. Thank you, God, that you have brought us near. Thank you, Lord, for the open invitation to come closer. Thank you for the powerful promises contained in this psalm. But Lord, I pray over this house this morning, deepen us, deepen us in maturity and understanding and knowledge of who you are and your will for our lives. Lord, will you mature us to go deeper so that we can stand on mighty promises, but we will not be discouraged by false narratives. God, I pray in this house that every single person will know the blessing of the sweetness of what it is to know your presence. May someone or some people know it for the first time today. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.